Welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so glad you joined us uh, this morning. Uh, if you have children, uh, kindergarten to third grade, they're heading to Children's Church. They can dismiss out the back with Miss Alex. Uh, if you have children that are staying with us and would like some activities, there's activities on that back table that they are free to grab and take back to their seat. There's also a sermon note that goes along with the sermon. It's got a bingo game on it they can play. Um, and if they do that and, and bring that back, I'll have a piece of candy for them. If you're an adult and you like bingo, you can go grab one as well. Um, but today we are continuing in our series that we are calling the Exodus, um, and we are looking at God's faithfulness to his people, his graciousness to his people, and how God uses ordinary people like us to fulfill his extraordinary plans. So two weeks ago, we kicked off the series by looking at Moses' mom, Jochebed. We saw her incredible faith in God as she protected Moses from the Pharaoh's decree to kill every male baby. We saw God provide for her and for Moses, and we ultimately let her, uh, saw her let go of her son and, and send him off to be raised in Pharaoh's palace. Moses spent his first 40 years in the palace of Pharaoh being trained and educated in the best that Egypt had to offer. But at the age of 40, he saw the pain and the anguish of his Hebrew uh, brothers and sisters, and he, he just snaps and loses it one day, and he strikes an Egyptian who is beating a Hebrew. And when he strikes the man, he inadvertently kills the man, and the news gets out. So at the age of 40, Moses flees to Midian, which is a middle-of-nowhere town in the desert. And as we saw last week, he spent the next 40 years of his life there, shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. So by the time we got to chapter 3 last week, Moses is an 80-year-old man who is fleeing from a manslaughter charge. He lives in the middle of nowhere, and he didn't even own his own flock of sheep. He was existing, content to live out the rest of his life there in Midian when God interrupted. We saw last week God interrupted through a burning bush, and he told Moses that he was going to free his people from Egyptian captivity. He was going to return them to the promised land. And Moses is overjoyed to hear this good news. But he's much less overjoyed to hear God, hear that God desires to use him to lead this exodus. When God tells Moses to go and get his people, Moses starts throwing out excuses. In last week's message, we looked at those excuses because they are four of the most common excuses that we use as well when God calls us to move. So if you missed either of those sermons, they're available on our website or Apple Podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Living Hope Green River. But God is gracious and he is patient with Moses. He gives him signs of his power and he promises to be with him always. And finally, Moses begrudgingly surrenders to the call. And as we see, when he goes to the, the leaders of the Israelite people, they are overjoyed that God has heard their cries for help and he's going to deliver them. The great preacher D.L. Moody has a quote that sums up Moses' life. He said Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody. He spent the next 40 years of his life thinking he was a nobody, and he spent the last 40 years of his life discovering what God can do with a nobody. So we've walked the first 80 years with Moses, and now over the next month or so, we're going to walk the next 40 years with Moses, seeing what God can do with a nobody like him and a nobody like us. So we're in Exodus 4. We're going to start in verse 29, and we're going to read through 523. We saw this briefly last, last week, but uh, verse 29 says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So we close with this last week, but Moses and Aaron, they go to the elders, and, and the elders don't have these hypothetical questions they were worried about. But instead, they are overjoyed and they believe. 
They are grateful that God has heard their cries and they worshiped him. We have those awesome times in life as well when God speaks and we know he is moving in powerful ways. But like us, these elders, uh, like us, these elders and, and the leaders, they hear God speak, they believe him. And I would guess they start dreaming in their head of how it's going to go. They start planning out how God is going to move. I'm sure they envisioned a swift exodus, an easy journey, and they would be home in the promised land in a matter of months. But God's plans rarely go as we envision. I know I fall victim to this. Like, think about when you have a baby. You have a baby. You have all these plans of how it's going to go. Then you don't sleep for three weeks, and all those plans are out the window. Following God is not just roses and sugar plums, but it's always good, and God is always faithful. And we're about to see those plants hit a roadblock right away in, in, in chapter 5. And the question for the Israelites and the question for us is, will we be faithful when God's ways aren't easy, when they're not as we planned, when we feel discouraged, fearful, hurt, and abandoned in the moment? So uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. So God has spoken to Moses, the people believed, and now Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, emboldened, and I'm sure expecting God to move and to move quickly. So they go to Pharaoh with this trial run. They don't ask him to free the people, but instead they ask for a long weekend to go to the desert and worship God. And this is an audacious request by Moses to Pharaoh. Pharaoh and the Egyptians considered Pharaoh to be a God himself, and he was an all-powerful leader. So for him to let the Hebrew people go was to surrender his authority and the authority of his gods over to another god. Also, what is what just a crazy moment for, for Moses to return to the palace, the halls, the family, the place he grew up after 40 years. And now instead of asking in the authority of Pharaoh, he makes his request in the authority of the Lord. Verse 2, Pharaoh said to Moses and Aaron, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So anytime in your Bible, when you see the word Lord, uh, and all letters are capitalized, this is the name God used for himself, I am, or Yahweh. And so Pharaoh says, I have never heard of this God, Yahweh, so why should I obey him? The Egyptians had hundreds of gods, but Pharaoh had never heard of Yahweh. So he ignores the request. He doesn't know Yahweh. He doesn't respect Yahweh, so he says no. Verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Uh, that's why they're, cry they're, why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they will keep working and pay no attention to the lies. So Pharaoh, like any good authoritarian leader, he sees a hint of rebellion and freedom in the eyes of those he's oppressing. And so he tightens the reins. He says, if you have time for a three-day weekend, then you must need more to do. You're lazy. So instead of us delivering the straw and the ingredients you need to make the bricks, you, the Hebrews, can harvest your own straw, and you will still make the same number of bricks. If you have time for a vacation, then we need to up the workload. 
Well, the, one other interesting note on this is that archaeology has confirmed that during this period of time, straw was mixed into the bricks because of the acidic content to make them stronger. The bricks, the, the straw would be mixed with the clay, and then instead of fire, the bricks would just be set out to bake in the Egyptian sun. And so Pharaoh, he ups the workload, and he calls on his people to enforce the laws. Moses, the people, were so excited for God to move. They have followed his instructions. But in the moment, things seemed to go haywire. Verse 10. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw whenever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? So, so far, Moses has promised great things, but his leadership has left the people worse off than before. They envisioned how God would move when he said he would free them. And in their dreams, it didn't involve more work and harsher conditions. But as we will see in the Exodus, but as we will see in the Exodus story, and as we have often experienced in our own lives, the greatest challenges often come before God's greatest victories. But the Israelite leaders, they're not sensing a victory, but they are feeling the oppression. So they turn on Moses, they turn on God, and they head to Pharaoh for help. Verse 15. Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. I think this is fascinating, and I think it's what we do as well. Uh, but in their time of trial, the officers, the leaders of the Israelite people, they don't turn to God first. They don't even turn to Moses and Aaron first. But instead, they turn to Pharaoh to solve their problems. They go whining to Pharaoh, and he blames their God and Moses and Aaron. Don't we do the same thing when life gets difficult? We turn to our resources. We turn to the world's solutions. We scour Google, blogs, and social media for help long before we trust and turn our problems over to God. When we, when we face a struggle on a national or societal level, we turn to our Pharaoh, to the government for help long before we cry out to God for help. And like with the Israelites, it always leaves us disappointed and let down. As I read this section of scripture this week and I, I saw the people turn to the governor of the day, I couldn't, I couldn't shake the Ronald Reagan quote he was so famous for. Right? The nine scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And both sides of the aisle do this. We look to the government, to the Republicans, to the Democrats to solve all our problems when we should be giving them to God, trusting him and trusting his plans. But our temptation when trial strikes is always to turn to the world the world systems, to ourselves. And when we turn to the world instead of God, it always leads to more bondage. Verse 20. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. For you have been obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and they have put, uh, put a sword in their hand to kill us. Remember just moments ago at the tail end of chapter 4? We just read it. They heard that God was for them, and they bowed in worship. 
They were excited about what God was going to do. But things have gotten hard and they have turned on God and they have turned on their leaders. When things were easy, they had joy. But when things got difficult, they turned. I think this is one of the great tests of our faith and our spiritual maturity. Anyone can trust God and find joy in him when things are easy on a day-to-day basis. But where will we turn? In whom will we trust when the struggles come? We live in a broken and fallen world. There will be difficult days. Where will we turn to for hope and joy in those days? Where will we find our peace when the walls are falling down? Verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Look at this. The grumbling and the complaining is contagious. And Moses is now infected. Don't be the person who who feeds the grumbling and complaining. Don't, Don't let other people draw you into that. That's not of God. Paul calls on us to do everything without grumbling and complaining. But look at Moses. He has boldly followed God's instruction. But when he hears the complaints of people, he's already forgotten God's promise. Exodus 3.19, God told Moses that Pharaoh was not going to let you go. But instead, it will not be until I stretch out my mighty hand that he will let you go. God told Moses it wasn't going to be easy, but he said, I will be faithful and I will be with you. Things felt like they were falling apart in Moses' mind, but things were going exactly as God had told them they would go. And as far as God is concerned, things are moving according to plan. That's a saying that is true in our lives. God sees and knows it all. He hasn't promised you only ease today, but he has promised you good. He has promised you his presence. He has promised you forgiveness, and he has promised you an eternity with him, with no more pain and no more tears if you follow him. God sees it all, and you can trust that even though you feel very real pain today, you can know that he loves you, that he is with you. He is not done with you. You are forgiven, and the future is eternal and good beyond our imagination. It didn't feel like it, but God was still moving in Moses' life. He was still moving in the life of Pharaoh. He was still moving in the lives of the Egyptians, and he was still moving in the lives of the Hebrew people. Things felt really bad in this moment, but God was still in control still sovereign, and still executing his plans. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the the whole Exodus story. Lord, we thank you uh, that we can see ourselves in all of the ups and downs of this story. But God, we thank you that one thing we'll see remains constant throughout the Exodus journey, and that is your goodness and your faithfulness to your people. So God, I pray that as we study this passage of Scripture, that you would uh, you would bring to, to mind those areas of life where, where we are feeling real pain and real hurt, where we are struggling and we are disappointed and let down. And God, as you bring those areas to light, Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn those over and trust them to you. And God, I pray that if there's anyone who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they might find their peace and their hope in you today. God, we love you, we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. So in Exodus chapter 5, we are really dealing with two different groups' response to God in the circumstances of life. On one hand, we have Pharaoh who has been approached by Moses and Aaron and, and told about the one true God, Yahweh. And on the other hand, we have Moses, Aaron, and the Israelite people who already know and already have a relationship with God. But that relationship is being tried by the difficulty of their circumstances. And so for the rest of the message, we're going to look at these two different groups and examine their response. And within that, we can hopefully place ourselves in one camp or the other. 
And I would guess as we place ourselves in the shoes of Pharaoh or the Israelites, we will find plenty of places where we can, re- where we can relate. So the first response we see is in Exodus chapter 5 is that of the Pharaohs. Moses and Aaron show up at his palace with this audacious request. The Pharaoh would have likely, uh, would have likely known or grown up with Moses some 40 years earlier. And now he shows up and he asks him to let the Israelites take a vacation to worship a God he has never heard of. A God that wasn't himself or an Egyptian God, but their own God that he didn't even know the name of. And in the moment, in the days, in the months to come, Pharaoh is going to be introduced to the one true God. But in this moment, uh, but in this moment he, doesn't, he doesn't know. And he asks the question in verse 2. And he asks the right question. He asks, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? And God, again, he's going to reveal himself and his power to Pharaoh. And then he's going to be left with another question that we all have to answer. And that is, will I follow or will I surrender my life to the Lord? And so our first point and the first place we can find ourselves in the story is in the shoes of Pharaoh. And there's two questions we have to answer. Who is the Lord and will I follow him? Who is the Lord and will I surrender my life to follow him? One of the ironic things in this story that we have looked at over the last few weeks is this contrasting response between, more, between Moses and Pharaoh to God and the question they ask. And the ironic thing is I think Pharaoh asked a better question than Moses. When God told Moses to go and lead his people, he looks at himself and he says, who am I? Pharaoh, on the other hand, didn't have the, didn't have the right heart, but he did ask the right question. He says, who is the Lord or who is God? And that's the question we all have to answer in this life. At this point, Pharaoh had never heard of God or seen his power. He knew of hundreds of Egyptian gods. He believed in their power. He believed he was some sort of God. He believed in his own power. He knew that his people were stronger and better than the Hebrew people as proven by the fact that they were the masters over the Hebrew people. So I'm sure he believed logically that his gods were better and stronger than their God. So why would he follow their God? That seems logical. It doesn't make sense. Why would you follow their God? But the Bible tells us that Yahweh isn't like any other God that man has created. But instead, God is the creator and sustainer of all things. At this point, Pharaoh had not yet seen God's power, but he would, and he will be left with a choice. To follow after Yahweh, the one true God, or to trust in his own power, his own strength, his own might, his own beliefs. And that is the same thing the Bible promises to us. The Bible promises that God, that God has and he will continue to reveal himself to any and all that search for him. And that he has and will continue to reveal himself to all of creation. But we like Pharaoh must choose. Who is it we will follow with our lives? And who is it we will trust with our future and our eternity? Paul makes it clear in Romans 1, 19 through 20. He says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Paul says that God has and will reveal himself to all people, and that all people are left with a choice. Will I follow God in his ways? Will I follow my thoughts, my power, my belief system? So what will be Pharaoh's response? What will be the Egyptians' response? More importantly, what will be our response to God? Have we trusted and followed after him, or we decide to go our own way? And so throughout this Exodus narrative, we're going to see God reveal himself to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian people through the signs given to Moses, through the plagues and through creation. And they're left with a choice. 
One of the interesting things that, that we see in the Exodus story is that in Exodus 12, 38, it tells us that many Egyptians left with the Israelites. Through this, they had seen God's power, his revelation on display, and they wanted to follow after him. And so for each of us today, we have to answer those two questions. Who is the Lord and will I follow? Who is the Lord? Is he the God of the universe? Is he the creator of all things? Is he the God who, who loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die in place for my sins? Does he know me and care about me? Does he have good plans for my life? Can he be trusted with my future, with my family? With my life, who is the Lord? And then will I follow after him? Do I believe in the Lord and will I surrender my life to follow after him? Will I surrender my ways, my plans, my opinions and follow him in his ways? Who is the Lord and will I follow? These are the two questions we all have to wrestle with and we all have to make a decision on. And they are two decisions that not only affect our lives today, but they will affect our lives for eternity. So if you're here today and you're not sure who the Lord is, and I would encourage you to do two things. One, I would encourage you to pray and just ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask him to provide the evidence you need to believe. And then secondly, I would encourage you to actively seek for answers to your questions. Read the Bible. Ask a friend who is a follower of God that you trust. Read some reputable sources. Go beyond Google blogs and TikTok and investigate what the Bible says about who God is. Seek God and seek answers to the question, who is the Lord? And then if you're here and you believe that God is creator and the, the sustainer of the world, you, you believe that in his love he sent Jesus to die for your sins, then my encouragement for you today is to surrender your life and follow after him instead of fighting against him as Pharaoh will. So who is the Lord and will you follow? If you're here and you, you know who the Lord is, you've never surrendered your life to follow after the Lord, you can do that today. There's nothing magical about it, but you simply, with a, a surrendered heart, have to say something to like this to God through prayer. God, I believe that you are God. I believe you sent Jesus to, to die uh, the death that my sin deserved. I believe that Jesus rose victorious from the grave, and I want to follow him the rest of the days of my life. I want to make Jesus the Lord, the boss of my life moving forward. The Bible says when you do that, he is faithful to forgive. So who is the Lord, and will I follow? On the other side of the equation, we have Moses, Aaron, and the Israelite people who know of the Lord and, and who, for the most part, are following the Lord. At the tail end of chapter 4, things are looking good. We saw that. It says, when they heard the, that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. They were reminded of who the Lord was, and they bowed down and worshipped. The Lord revealed himself, and they were ready to follow. But their idea, idea of following the Lord was ease. It was comfort. It was the promised land. They were expecting for God to move and for them just to waltz on out of Egypt. But God had already told them, told Moses that wasn't how it was going to happen. But despite the trials, he would, come, he would be with them and he would be faithful. And that's the same promise for us today. In John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us that when we follow him, we will still have trials and troubles in this world. Often when we come to faith, we're like the Israelites in chapter 4. We, we surrender our lives to follow God, but we do so with this expectation that life is going to be easy, that it's going to be trial-free, that it's going to be carefree, and that God is going to solve all of our momentary problems. But that's not the promise of the Bible. 
In fact, Jesus tells us that we will face trials and persecutions in this world because we follow him. He tells us this life is going to be harder if we follow after him. But he says when we follow him, we will have peace and we will have the promise of a future with him. So we, like the Israelites, will face trials in this world, but what will be our response? And so what we're going to do is we're going to answer this question, what is our response to trial? As followers of God, what is our response to trial? And in the Israelites, I think we see some of our common responses as well. The Israelites are expecting to easily head out of Egypt, but instead they feel their lives get more difficult. In the immediate, their working conditions worsen, their workload increases, and oppression seems unbearable. And in that, they lose sight of the big picture because of what they're feeling in the moment. So what do they do? They get discouraged. They begin to grumble. They begin to complain, and they begin to blame. Now, I don't know about you, but when my days are difficult, when I face trial, my tendency is to get discouraged, to grumble, and to complain. Now, I could come up with plenty of examples from my life about when I've been short-sighted and when I've lost perspective and began to grumble, but those examples aren't as fun for me, so I decided to pull an example from my kids uh, and probably your kids as well. There have been many times that we have planned a fun trip or a vacation, but when you live in Green River, Wyoming, it often takes a little time to travel to where you're going. And my kids are awesome travelers, but without fail, there always comes a time on that car trip or on the flight when the pain and suffering of boredom becomes too much. And when that boredom becomes too much, they begin to whine and grumble, and they are ready to give up and go home. And in that moment, they have become so focused on the immediate that they've forgotten the promise of the destination. And we do that all the time, don't we? We forget the promises of God because of the immediate trials of today. And so often it leads us to grumble and complain against God. And we're going to see this pattern over and over in the Exodus story. The other thing the Israelites do is they start depending on their own power, their own strength, and their own wisdom instead of God. They start to try and solve their problems by going to Pharaoh, by going to Moses, by trying to solve things by human means. And we do the same thing. And when we respond in that way, when I respond in that way, when the Israelites respond in this manner, they have forgotten God's past faithfulness and his future promise. So our typical response, or at least my typical response to trial, is we forget God's past faithfulness and we forget his future promises. We, like the Israelites, are so short-sighted by nature That when trial hits, we instantly forget all that God has done for us in the past. We forget all of his promises for the future. In the moment of trial, in the moment the trial often feels like the greatest trial, the the greatest struggle, the greatest threat we have ever experienced in this life. In the moment it feels like there is no hope, there is no future, there is no tomorrow. But that's not what God promises over our lives. God promises that even in the midst of the greatest threat this world can throw at us, The greatest threat it can throw at us, which is death, he promises in the face of that there is victory, life, and a future with him in eternity in heaven. God has promised the Israelites it's going to be hard, but he has said, I'm going to be with you. I care for you, and I am going to free you from Egypt and return you to the promised land. But as soon as it got hard, they forgot, and we do the same thing. So as God's followers, what is the proper response to times of trial and discouragement? The first one, I think, is we've got to keep perspective. We've got to remember his past faithfulness, and we've got to remember his future promises. For the Hebrews, this must have seemed like the greatest problem they'd ever faced. It seems like it seems they could only see the troubles immediately in front of them. 
And in that, they lose perspective. They lose sight of what God is doing. So often, we want to know what God is doing today, in the moment, in the immediate, instead of trusting what God has done in the past and what he's doing in our lives in the future. We need faith to trust that God knows what he is doing and that he is able to do what he says he will do, and that he has our best in mind. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, we, wow, we preached on this middle of COVID, uh, it's Habakkuk 1.5. And in Habakkuk 1.5, God says to the prophet Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. Things seemed like they were absolutely falling apart. And God said to Habakkuk and the people of Israel, calm down because I am doing something you wouldn't believe if I told you. God's plans, his timing is so much greater than we can imagine. Don't get caught up, so caught up in the immediate that you and I lose perspective and miss out what he, on what he's doing in our lives, in our family's lives, and in the world. Second thing we have to do is persevere and remain faithful. Paul in Ephesians 4 calls on believers to not be like waves tossed back and forth by every teaching, by every feeling, by every circumstances. But instead, we are to grow in our faith standing on the rock, which is God. The Israelites were caught up in the urgent crisis of the day, and then it started spiraling. We can see the frustration build. The foreman turned to Pharaoh for help, and, and he gets a reprimand. They turn to Moses and Aaron, and they speak out with strong words of anger, and they accuse them to their face. Same way we can let the frustration spiral in our life and cause harm to others. Don't be distracted by the trial of the day, but instead keep your eyes on Jesus, who is your rock and who is steadfast. Walk in the integrity of your heart with all steadfastness of faith. Psalm 15, starting in verse 2, it says, He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, he does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend. He who does these things, who walks in integrity, will never be shaken. When trial comes, and it's going to come, don't be overcome by the immediate, by the emotions, but persevere, doing what you know is right. And maintaining your faith in God who is doing great things. We, like the Israelites, have been told it's going to be difficult. But we, like the Israelites, have also been promised that God is good, that his plans are good for our lives. That he will be victorious and that our future is secure. Don't let the immediate crisis take your eyes off God and his promises. Practically, you do this by, by doing the things you know are right. By, by taking in godly wisdom and not worldly wisdom. Continue to pray. Continue to read your Bible. Continue to seek godly wisdom. Continue to come to church and be reminded of God's goodness and faithfulness. Seek the wisdom and input of a friend who knows God and who has walked the journey before. Turn down the volume of those who are panicked and, and turning from God. Turn down the wisdom of the world. Turn off the TV. Turn off Twitter and TikTok and turn up the wisdom of God. And then lastly, when trial hits, rest in God's peace. We read it earlier, but in John 16, Jesus says this. He says, I've told you these things so that in me, in me you may have peace. You can have peace in the immediate. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Trouble is here, and it is coming. But in Jesus, we've been offered a peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus, there is peace for today. There is peace in his promise of a future. There is peace in his past faithfulness. There is peace in his forgiveness. There is peace in his provision. There is peace in his presence. There is peace in his love. There is peace in his compassion. There is peace in his knowledge, and there is peace in his goodness. 
Find your rest, your peace in the midst of the storm in him. Pray, giving him your trials and burdens. Turn over your hurts and your troubles over to him. Pour out your heart and your heartaches to him. And in that, find your rest in him because in him alone is where you have hope in the future. I'll kind of close with this. In Psalm 62, David is in the midst of an attack. People are coming after him and they want to dethrone him and they want to kill him. And he writes this in Psalm 62. He says, truly my soul finds rest in God. For my salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place, for they delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Have you ever had any of those people in your life? Verse 5, he says, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. When trial comes and it's coming, don't run Don't lose perspective. Don't complain and blame, but instead turn to God. Turn to his promises. Remember his faithfulness in your life and find your rest in him alone from whom your hope comes. Just a second, Melinda's going to come and she's going to play for us. And we're just going to take a few moments to reflect on the questions of today. That first question we're going to reflect on is, who is the Lord and then will I follow him? And so have you settled those two questions in your life? Who is the Lord? If you're not sure who the Lord is, that's okay. But investigate who is the Lord, and is he worthy of my trust? And then have you ever surrendered and followed him? We said it earlier, but you can do that in your seat today. You can just pray and say, God, I want to follow you with my life. I believe you are who you said you are, and I want to follow you. The Bible says you do that, he is faithful to forgive. So who is the Lord, and will I follow him? And if you're here and you're already a follower of God who has surrendered your life to God, then then what has been your response to trial, difficulty, and disappointment? In what area of your life right now are you feeling that? Are you feeling the trial, the disappointment, the hurt, the heartache of life? And then would you turn that over to him today? Would you trust him and his plans with whatever it is today? Would you surrender that area to to him today and then take the practical steps to refocus your life on him, to lift your eyes from the immediate to Jesus who is able? I'm going to pray for us, and then after I pray, Melinda's going to play. I'd ask you just to bow your head for a moment or two and just ask God uh, for his peace in that trial. Lord, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are faithful and that you are good. We thank you that in peace, Uh, In you, there is peace even in the midst of trial and difficulty. God, we thank you that we know that you have already overcome this world. Lord, we know that if we follow you with our life, that you are faithful to forgive, and our future is secure, and it is good. So, God, I pray uh, for the trials that we're feeling, the hurt and disappointment we're feeling today. I pray for the hurt and the trials and disappointments that are coming this week, that are going to come this week. God, I pray that you would help us in the immediate, in the moment, in the hurt, in the pain. To lift our eyes from that and to look to you. That in the immediate, we could 
look beyond the real hurt and real pain to you who is good, who is faithful, whose promises never fail. Lord, I would hope, I pray that you would help us in the immediate to find our hope and peace in you. Again, God, I pray there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you would reveal to them, to, to, to them who you are. Lord, you would give them the courage to follow you. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that your promises are true. Lord, we thank you that in you is peace and a future. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. faithful. God, I pray that you would help us to turn our lives and to trust all areas of our lives to you this week. God, we love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for being here today. We got a few announcements. Uh, If you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you don't mind filling that out and placing it in a box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. It's also where you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, in terms of announcements, there is youth group this week, but it won't be here at the church. They're going to meet at Edgewater Park from 6.30 to 8. If you've got questions about that, you can talk to uh, Justin. Uh, we also have kids camp uh, and youth camp coming up on Casper Mountain. Uh, uh, deposit dates have passed or are coming, so we do need to know soon if your child is interested in going to that. Uh, please come and talk to me about kids camp. Talk to Justin about youth camp. Uh, we would love to get your child signed up for that. Uh, we got VBS coming up August 1st to the 4th here at Living Hope Church. And then we have a VBS mission trip to LaBarge, uh, June 28th and 29th. If you're interested in either, helping with either of those, uh, you can come and talk with me or you can talk uh, with my wife. And if you talk with me, I'll send you my wife's phone number and you can talk to her. So uh, that works too. But if you're interested in either of those, come and talk with us. We'd love to have your help. And then if you have children, uh, registration is open for our VBS as well. So you can get on our website and sign up for those. So thank you so much for being here this week. We hope we come next back, back next week. We're going to be in Exodus 6. We're looking at a genealogy, so it's going to be exciting stuff. So we'd love to have you join us for that. Have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you next week.